Hi, my name is Eugene. Um, I don't know everyone here, but um, yeah, as Andy was saying, I've been coming to this church um, since September, and it's a real privilege to be preaching to you guys today. Um, so we pick up from Danny and Coyotes um, looking at the life of Stephen in Acts 6 and 7. And so just to recap, Danny, um, he shared his message with us about the life of Stephen as a servant, where he was serving tables and the widow's ministry um, in his local church. And then Coyote shared with us about Stephen's ministry as an evangelist and how he, um, how he was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with power and wisdom that people could not uh, withstand. And so in Acts 7, we see, or towards the end of Acts 6, we see Stephen um, being hauled before the council. The council would have been people who were high-ranking um, religious um, people, um, namely the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were kind of like a, a religious court, if you like. And he was hauled before them with two main accusations. Firstly, that um, he was being blasphemous against Moses and, and God, and secondly, that he never ceases to speak against the temple and the law. And so chapter 7, we have this long speech, um, which Andy read a part of, and it sees Stephen in the role of a prophet. And he's preaching to the council here, and, he's, and what he does is he reveals the hearts, the, the hard hearts of the council and their resistance to God, and not just God, but his truth and also his messengers. And Stephen's role as a prophet here is to appeal to them to respond to the Holy Spirit. And one thing that I'd like us to have at the back of our minds when we, when we listen to this, um, when we read this passage and also um, think about some of the issues that I'm going to expand on is, I wonder how would you respond if you were sat amongst the council listening to Stephen? Because whether we are Christian or not, we are all just as prone to resisting God in some way. And his defense takes him through a whistle-stop tour of the Old Testament. He starts with um, the life of Abraham, Joseph, and then Moses. He looks at how the Israelites were led through the Exodus uh, in the wilderness and how although Moses was sent by God as ruler and redeemer, um, did many signs and wonders, and then eventually brought them to um, the promised land, the Israelites time and time again abandoned him, turned, turned their backs on him. And I want to focus on the main thrust of Stephen's appeal and rebuke to the council. Um, and I've summarized it in three main points, which firstly is um, how we are prone to resisting God. Secondly, what we turn to when we resist God. And lastly, responding to the Holy Spirit. So let's crack on. First header being how we are prone to resisting God, his prophets, his truth, and also himself. And so in this passage, um, in Acts 7, we see Stephen laying out the, the backdrop of the Old Testament where um, he starts with the life of Abraham. He, he looks at how God was speaking to Abraham, how God promised Abraham, even though Abraham and Sarah were barren, he promised Abraham um, a multitude of offspring, and he promised how he would bring that multitude of offspring through a, into a foreign land to be enslaved by that foreign land in Egypt. And then later on that he would, um, he says, he would judge the nation that they serve and then bring them out to the promised land. And then he then moves on quickly to the life of Joseph, how God was with Joseph during his time of affliction, and then how he, how he was um, suffering under the, the hands of um, his brothers, and how he was brought to Egypt, sold as a slave to Egypt, and then how God subsequently promoted him to the, the position of prime minister, and how God was with him through that whole time. And, and then a turn of events happened when, when 
God uses that for good. God uses this whole circumstance, Joseph's affliction, in order to bless the, the, the people of Israel. The, Israel was going through a really hard famine at that at time, and so he basically took Israel into Egypt, where Joseph had tremendous favor from Pharaoh in Egypt. And from there, you, saw that you see the nation of Israel prosper. They grow into a multitude of people, and they start to, they start to become a real nation within, within the country of Egypt. And not just that, but you could see in this story as well that God was actually fulfilling the prophecy that he had already given to Abraham. And you can start to see the hand of God through, this, through these stories um, in the Old Testament. Fast forward a bit more, and um, the land of Egypt has, has gone through a change of leadership, and the new pharaoh is very hostile to the Israelites, and they start to enslave the Israelites. And what happens is that the Israelites become a people that, that is under servitude, and and in times are really tough for them. And God then raises up Moses, and we come to the passage that Andy was reading earlier, where God uses Moses to, to perform signs and wonders in Egypt. First, the ten, um, you've got the ten plagues, and then he led, Egypt, he led the Israelites out of Egypt to the Red Sea. Another miracle there, the parting of the Red Sea, as all of you guys will be familiar with, and then into the wilderness for 40 years. And you can see that God is using... God is basically using the lives of these people, this great man of, um, of Israel, in order to bring about the very prophecies that he had spoken about and given to, to Abraham. So there you, there you get a glimpse of the glory of God and the kind of sovereignty that God has over all of time, over all, like, whether good times or bad times. And that takes us to our passage here where time and time again, even though you can see the, the, the goodness of God to the people of Israel, but time and time again, the Israelites in the wilderness, they continue to rebel against, against Moses, against God's word. As in the passage that Andy read, the Israelites rebelled against Moses and in, in rebelling against him, they start to turn to worshipping the things that their, hands, their, their own hands make. They start to worship the golden calf. They start to, and in their hearts, um, Moses, Stephen also says that their hearts turn back to Egypt. And here we are also similarly prone to doing the same things that we forget the blessings that we, we already experienced from God. We forget the, the, the times when God has been gracious to us, answered our prayers, the miracles that we've, we've experienced or, or witnessed. And, and we, often, we often forget these things very quickly because we are forgetful people. When I was writing my master's thesis, as um, Andy was pointing out just now, um, I experienced... Uh, on the, morning, on the morning at 4 a.m. of the day that I had to submit my dissertation, I, had to, uh, I still had 4,000 out of 6,000 words left to write. <laughs> and so, as you can imagine, I was under a great deal of stress. And having not slept for the past two nights, it's, I started to panic. And I started to feel this tremendous amount of stress and this tremendous amount of um, anxiety. And because of, because of all that stress and anxiety, I, I had this mental block. And I, it was one of those things that like, if you couldn't, get a breakthrough in the analysis, you couldn't get past it because everything else subsequently hinged on that one, that one breakthrough. And so being really tired, like, um, I thought, okay, I'll just take a half an hour nap and hopefully I'll be feeling better. And um, so I, I laid on my bed for half an hour, but as you can imagine, like, in those circumstances, you can't fall asleep. And so I was just tossing and turning and just really very stressed. And at that point, I thought, okay, you know, like, this is not working and I prayed the, one of the most desperate prayers that I've ever prayed. And I literally told God, right, like, I'm at the end of my wits, and at the end of my tethers, and 
everything that comes after this, I know it has to be you because I, I've tried everything. I'm, I'm at the, the end of my, my physical and emotional and mental abilities. And I went back to, the desk, to my desk after that prayer and within 10 minutes, I got my breakthrough. And 10 hours later, I managed to submit my dissertation with half an hour to go. Wouldn't recommend that for anyone, but there you go. But my point is that like, even after a great triumph like that, I still, whenever, I, whenever I'm faced with a major deadline, even at work or, or even preparing for this sermon really, like I, I still panic and I still fall back to the same, I still find myself falling back to the same mode of, of losing reliance, losing faith in God and basically just re- relying on my own strength, relying on, on my own efforts to be able to get through that task. And I think that is something that a lot of people in this room would be familiar with in one form or another. Um, and there are so many other examples um, that you would be familiar with as well, whether, it's, um, whether we choose to indulge in, in laziness, whether we, whether we choose to indulge in, in our temptations, um, whether we are holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness. And all of these things are examples of how we are basically living in unbelief in a small way, but in a very real way as well. And, and all these things basically tell, tell us or tell God that those, those experiences, those miracles that we've, we've um, experienced in the past, those answers to prayer, despite all of those things, we still don't really trust Him in, in the things that we're doing. And I think it's, it's a very common, it's something that all of us will be familiar with because we are human and because we still have residual sin in us if we are, if we are Christian. And and this usually happens the most when times are tough. I, was, I think that it's much harder to believe in God's truth when times are, going, uh, are, are not going well. And we might intellectually or theologically believe that you know, as in God is still good to us. God is a good, good father. God, is, God loves us. And those things don't change. But the way we, we live our lives and the way we, we respond to those negative circumstances, it really exposes the lack of belief that we have in those situations. And so it's, it's, my, it's my encouragement to you guys. Is I, I'm urging you guys that um, it's, it is important to store up episodes of thank, thankfulness. It is, um, it is important to store up and journal even like episodes of when God has been really good to us, when, he's, when we've received his grace, so that we can constantly look back to these times and know that God is a good God. God does give the breakthroughs, and he's a God that we can rely on. The Israelites did this in the form of altars. When they, when they had a victory, at, a major victory at war, they would set up an altar, and these altars are made of rocks. Um, they were basically a symbol of the victory that God gave to them, and they used these altars to remind themselves of the times when God was gracious to them, and so that when times are tough, they can look back on these things and know that God is a good God. We may not always see and understand why we are going through a difficult time, but we, we might do later on. And at the end of it, like, we know that God is good. And another thing that Stephen reveals to the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the council is that the condition of the human heart is the same over the millennia. The Israelites in the Exodus, um, they constantly rebelled against Moses time and time again. Uh, after coming out of Egypt, um, even after coming out of Egypt, seeing the signs and wonders there, they, they came to the Red Sea and then they started to panic. And then the, the Red Sea parted, they went across, um, they didn't have food and they started to panic. 
And when the manna was, the manna was given to them and they didn't have water, they started to panic. And you can see this recurrent pattern that, that over the time um, in the, in the, during the Exodus, it is the condition of the human heart to rebel, to forget God's goodness. But in Stephen looking to the Old Testament story of the Exodus and recounting it to the council, he is basically showing the council that nothing's changed. You guys are exactly in exactly the same position as the Israelites were in the wilderness. And today, us reading this passage, we also encounter the same thing in the sense that we've got the stories of the Old Testament, we've got the stories of the New Testament, Stephen preaching to the council, and we find ourselves in the same position that the human heart is resistant to God. And similarly, the, so think about the people that were listening to Stephen in the council. Jesus, um, Moses, Stephen preaching about Jesus and, and how Moses was pointing to Jesus, he, this would have been a poignant, a poignant uh, statement for them to hear, to listen to, because the Jews of Stephen's day had been waiting for the coming of this saviour. It had been prophesied right from the day one, um, right from, okay, maybe not day one, but like when Jesus was speaking, when, sorry, when God was speaking to, to Ad, um, Adam and saying that he would raise up and his offspring and use the offspring to strike the devil's heel. Fast forward and you have Moses' prophecy in verse 37 when he says, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Fast forward some more to Isaiah and Isaiah prophesies about how um, the Messiah, the coming of this Savior will be known as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And, and that's something that we sing about at Christmas, the coming of, of the Lord Jesus. And today, our Jewish and Muslim friends are still waiting. Our Jewish and Muslim friends, um, if, you, if you speak to them, they are still waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And um, it reminds me of this conversation that I used to have with, I, I once had with my colleague um, who's a Muslim. And we were basically sharing with each other about our faiths, about each other's faiths. And I was telling him about Jesus, and he was telling me that he was still waiting for the Messiah to, to arrive. And I do wonder, though, like, do we really want to know these answers? Do we really want to know if there is a saviour? What would it look like for that saviour to be here? Even if we are not a Christian as well. Like, um, I think non-Christians as well would know a sense of this longing in, when, when we think about the injustices of the world, when we think, when we think about yet another story of um, pedophilia, about um, sex slavery, about um, corruption in governments, about... Um, yeah, the list goes on, but like, whenever we think about how there's evil and injustice in the world where, where there's still suffering, there's a, there's a part of us that longs for a solution, longs for something better, knowing that there has to be something bigger, there has to be something better. But I wonder if we really do want to seek that solution. Because billions of Christians across the two millennia since Jesus have already encountered Jesus, and they, they profess to knowing and and experiencing the living God. Stephen had the Old Testament to, to recount to the council, but we have both stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament, evidence of the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. But the Bible uses harsher language yet, calling it sinful nature and unbelief. Stephen surely had a sharper choice of words when he, when he called um, the council a stiff-necked people, and I wouldn't go so far as to call people uncircumcised. 
but he had a point in that we are resistant to God's intervention or prompting. In that sense, we are stiff-necked, unwilling to change, stubborn in our ways. And the Holy Spirit is described in, in Scripture as gentle in dealing with us. He's described as a dove, and a dove can be resisted and easily quenched. We are beings made to worship something or someone. And when we turn away from God, we necessarily turn to something else. And this we do, whether it's subconsciously or consciously. And this brings me to my second heading, which is what we turn to when we turn away from God. And I've got two main points here, which, which is basically that we, turn, we, we tend to turn to idols and temples. And what I mean by idols is we tend to turn to the works of our hands. Stephen was basically showing um, that the Israelites turned to make a golden calf and they rejoiced in the works of their hands. And we do the same as well when we pour ourselves into our achievements, our jobs, our relationships, our, even our children, though I don't have those yet. Um, and, and we start to obsess about these things. And an indicator of us doing that is when we when we find ourselves despairing and losing hope when these things are taken away from us, when we are deprived of these things, we lose our joy and peace when these things are robbed or taken away from us. The Israelites also turn back to Egypt. And this is basically saying that like, we, we, we tend to return to our old ways of living, our old comforts that we were used to, that we were familiar with, when we turn away from God and we, when we start to be resistant to his truth or to his messengers. But there is something better which Abraham and friends knew. And this is the reliance and faith in our unchanging creator. Secondly, we tend to turn to temples, which, by which I mean holy things but emptied of God. And Stephen exposes the emptiness of the, the councils and the Israelites' zeal for the temple and the law in that they, they were accusing him of blaspheming these things, but as you, can, as you can remember, as you can recall from the passage that Andy read, they were devoid of their relationship with God. They were basically trying to, to create something where they can put God in a box, but, but the response comes that the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. The people have become obsessed with these, these things that they create, and we also are vulnerable to these things or susceptible to these things when we, when we start to idolize um, when we start to idolize things that are seemingly holy but pull God out of it and empty these things of God. So these things might be um, these things might be good things like church, Sunday services, dance, singing, um, the cakes that we enjoy on Sundays, um, things that we associate with church, with, with holy things. But if it doesn't ultimately come back to God, Dan's feeling full of himself now. <laughs> when, we don't, when we ultimately don't come back to God, then we're doing the very same thing that the Israelites are doing here, that the council is doing here. We are emptying these good things that were given to us by God of God himself. These things were meant as a signpost. These things were meant um, to help us meet with God, to help us in our relationship with God. But if we take God out of the equation, then we start to idolize these things in themselves. But what then should we do? And that's where I come to my third header, which is responding to the Holy Spirit. How and why should we do so? 
if we read a bit further on from the passage, we look at, we start to, to see how Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. He's in the midst of being stoned, but he's full of the Spirit and he gazes into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And what this tells me is that even in adversity, in the toughest of times, he was able to enjoy a certain sense of peace, a real calm and peace, knowing that God is sovereign over all of these things, even the very stoning that he was going through. And he experienced this real sense of peace. And that's, that's one of the things that, um, that's, that we read in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit gives. Coyote, last week he was pointing to how Stephen was also filled with the Spirit, and with that he preached with power and wisdom. He was able to um, debate, with, um, debate with the Israelites without, um, without them being able to withstand him. And, and that's another thing that we, that we would want to seek in all our ministries, in all that we do, a certain sense of power and effectiveness that we can't, do, we can't deliver on our own effort and our own strength. It is something that only God can give. But lastly, it is God's Spirit that causes us to be able to believe and to grow in holiness. Jesus in John 3 says that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit that causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, and to believe on the righteous one that Jesus and Moses, the prophets, were pointing to. Romans 8 describes the promise and the certainty of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and how he would bring us to um, to completion um, in transforming us to become more and more like Christ. And this is something that Stephen experienced when he died at a martyrdom, which was very similar to Jesus' uh, death, where he died praying for the very people who were killing him, saying, please do not hold these sins against them. Stephen's appeal to the council then, and to us as well, is that we should respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We should respond to the, people, um, to the person that both Moses and him were pointing to, and his appeal is for us to respond to Jesus. You see, the story of rebellion that the Israelites go through over and over again might be a broken record, but God's love for us is steadfast. He's shown this throughout the whole of the Old Testament in how like, he continues to pursue the Israelites despite their rebellion, and he continues to do so today as well when we, um, when we come to him and ask for forgiveness. So today, if you hear his voice prompting you, nudging you, perhaps it's a niggling feeling that we feel when we are reading our Bibles or listening to a sermon, the psalmist in Psalm 95 urges us, do not harden your hearts as with the Israelites in the wilderness. But how then do you know if it's God's voice that we're listening to, that we're hearing? And the answer is that by praying and testing it against what he has already said to us in this book. As in 1 Thessalonians 5, when he says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. Let's pray. Yeah, Father Lord, we thank you so much for the story of um, the stories in the Old Testament and also in the New Lord of this speech that Stephen gave to the council, of the demonstration of your love and steadfast love for us, Lord, throughout all of time. And we thank you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, we are we are given free access, open access to to come into a relationship with you. 
We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, help, to enable us, Lord, to resist, um, to resist temptations, to resist um, evil, Lord, in, in the times, especially in times when it is tough, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to help us, Lord, to become more and more like your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.